Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Very proud of our youth leaders, Brother Alex, Sister Brittany. You guys are doing a phenomenal job. And I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate everything you do, um, and, I, and I'm proud of you. Um, so thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, we'll get into the Word of God here shortly, but uh, I want to talk to us tonight. Um, very simple, very um, not, not, nothing super profound. I had... Uh, as they were talking, I, I was quickly reminded as they keep talking about all these excellent preachers that they heard. It wasn't maybe two or three years ago that right after a camp meeting that I was the Sunday night preacher and they were all giving their testimonies about how great the preacher was. And I'm sitting over here thinking, well, you get me tonight. So that's just, you're just going to have to, you know, I'm not a Mark Brown. I'm not a Josh Herring. I'm, I'm just TJ. So um, we'll, but God's the same, right? And the word of God's the same, so I'll do my best, you do your best, and I believe God's got something in store for us tonight. <clears throat> now, have you ever met someone who's really good at something? Don't say me, because that'd just be flattering. No, I'm just kidding. You've met somebody who's really good at something, whether it be a, a, a sport or a craft or a, a profession, whatever it is, somebody that's really good at something. Now, have you ever met somebody who's really good at only one thing? Like, the, the rest of uh, their life is, is kind of a question, a mystery to how they get things done, but you put them in a certain area or arena, and they just excel. They're, they're excellent at just one thing. Um, I'm not sure uh, how this is going to go over, but I'll, I'll send it anyways. I know I'm not a native Minnesotan, so um, if I offend you, hopefully... You can forgive me. Uh, I'm sure most everybody in the building is at least vaguely familiar uh, who Adrian Peterson is. Uh, okay, I got an amen. That's, we'll save those. If we can get a couple more of those later on, that'd be good. I'd appreciate that. But Adrian Peterson gets the amen, and that's a good start. Um, so whether you're a football fan or not, you, you've no doubt heard the name Adrian Peterson. If you spent some time in, in Minnesota, um, you've at least heard his name. He used to be running back for the Minnesota Vikings. Played college football at uh, Oklahoma University. He won the Heisman Trophy in 2004 and the NFL MVP in 2012. You don't have to say amen. It's okay. It's Adrian Peterson, not the Lord. Um, but without going into too much detail or, or too many um, statistical accomplishments, it's safe to say that he is a very accomplished football player. Uh, he's good at football. However, I remember one time I was watching, a, and I don't know why or where or what the case was, but I was watching a celebrity softball game, and Adrian Peterson, the physical freak, uh, the otherworldly football player, was taking part, and I was kind of excited. I'm like, dude, this is going to be great. He's going to crush the softball. It'll be awesome. And I watched him basically have absolutely no idea how to field a baseball or a softball that was hit to him, but then he came up to bat. This guy was horrible. <laughs> uh, and I didn't really look for a super long time. I couldn't find the exact video clip that I was looking for that I remembered, but I did find this footage, so check this out. 
Now, this is Adrian Peterson up to bat, and I apologize for the uh, terrible uh, crowd vision camera, but this is what I got in a 47-second uh, YouTube search. So Adrian Peterson, the athletic freak, here he is trying to hit a softball. It is a girl pitcher, yes. There's, there's one more. There's one more. This is the 2004 Heisman Trophy winner, the 2012 NFL MVP, one of the best running backs to ever play the game. <laughs> but, but clearly, he's terrible at softball, uh, and, and that's okay. Um, but I would venture to say he's probably confident in at least one thing, and that's if you put him on a football field, he knows exactly what he's doing. Maybe out of his element in other areas, but at least in one thing, he's extraordinarily confident. And I want to look at Paul, who told us basically the same thing in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2. He said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified." I might not be the best speaker. I might not have the most wisdom. I might not be able to uh, wow you with my knowledge, but I do know Jesus Christ and him crucified. Philippians 1.6, he said, Be confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And I just want to make certain tonight, before we leave this place, that no matter what else is going on, no matter what else you're great at or what else you're terrible at, no matter what, I want us to be sure that we are confident in Jesus Christ. That we can have a boldness and a confidence that is poured into us throughout scripture that we know regardless of anything else I might not be great at sports and I might not be the best at my job and I might not be the best in this area but I know one thing and that's Jesus Christ and him crucified there's power in that name there's salvation in that name there's deliverance in that name so no matter else what what else happens I'm confident in knowing who Jesus Christ is the Bible pours this confidence into us Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 it says let us us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Deuteronomy 31 6 he said be strong and of good courage fear not nor be afraid of them for the Lord thy God he it is that doeth go that doth go with thee he will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Proverbs 3 26 for the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. And Romans 8 28 we know all things work together for good to them that love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. So we can be very confident of one thing for sure. There is one God. His name is Jesus. He has all the power and authority. He is fighting your battles. He is protecting us. He is covering us. He is watching over us. He's walking with us day by day. So no matter else what life throws at me, that doesn't matter. I'm confident of one thing and that's Jesus Christ and him crucified. We heard this morning about our testimony and we heard about revelation chapter 12 where they said that the the uh, they shall be saved by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and i love that scripture so much because those are two things that can never be taken away 
Your testimony cannot be taken away. Nobody can tell you that it didn't happen or that it's not true because you experienced it and you lived it and you're confident in knowing that what happened to me happened to me. But the other thing that we have to have more than just a word of testimony is the blood of the lamb. And I'm thankful that 2,000 years ago on Calvary's hill, the lamb of God sacrificed himself on a cross and that blood was shed and that can never be taken away. That's not made up history. That's not false doctrine doctrine that's not hearsay that's proven fact that Jesus Christ died and the word says that by his stripes we are made whole so I can be a hundred percent confident tonight knowing that no matter what we bring into this place no matter what we carry day to day no matter what fears we face no matter what situations arise no matter what goes on in life I am confident in this one thing Jesus Christ and him crucified and that blood and my testimony makes me an overcomer amen praise God praise God no matter what our confidence level is as an individual, spiritually, we should be the most confident people in the entire world. Spiritually, there should be no one that can rival our confidence. Now, you might by nature be more timid person. You might by nature be more of an introvert. And you might by nature be more of a, a shy person. And I guess it takes all types. I don't really know necessarily what it's like to be that way. Shocker. Uh, I, I, I've never really been the type that steps into a, a place and just all of a sudden I'm overcome with fear because I don't know people. That's just not who I am. And if that's who you are, then you're just as confused by me as I am by you. <laughs> we learned a long time in, in leadership training that people are different and diversity is good. In other words, it, it takes all kinds. But I don't care what your natural confidence level is. Whether you walk into a room and you light it up or you walk into a room and no one notices. That doesn't necessarily matter when we're talking about this. But what does matter is that when we find our place of prayer. What does matter is that when we lay hands on the sick. What does matter is when we share a testimony. What does matter is when we sit across the table from somebody and open a Bible and look at a Bible study chart. What does matter is that when I start to look at this book... I have absolute confidence, no matter about my personality and no matter about my physicality, I have confidence in knowing that this is true, that this is real, that is just alive today as it was when it was penned over 2,000 years ago. I have absolute confidence in knowing that my Jesus is still alive. Amen? Praise God. Psychologist and therapist Nick Wingall gave a list of five things that confident people don't do. So these are five things confident people don't do. And so since I want us to be confident in who we are in Jesus, we're going to look at these tonight and apply a little spirituality to the psychology that's brought to us. So five things that confident people don't do. One, constantly ask for reassurance. Two, ruminate on the past. Three, expect too much of themselves. Four, worry about things they can't control. And five, make decisions based off of how they feel. Now, I want to dive into these tonight and see what does having confidence look like? What does having confidence seem like in the day-to-day? -day? How do I do that? Can it be for everyone or am I excluded because I have low self-esteem, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? We can be confident in Jesus Christ. And if we're going to be confident, there's some things that we have to do and there's some things that we have to stop doing. 
Amen? So we'll look at those tonight. First is constantly asking for reassurance. As born-again apostolic people, you should walk around with your head held high. You should operate with a confidence that makes people around you take notice. We have every right to know who we are in Christ. Now, I'm not saying that it's bad to want to be reassured. Everybody likes to be reassured, right? It feels good to, to have some reassurance. This word of God, this service tonight, the service this morning, anytime you step into the presence of God, that's all the assurance you need of who he is and of his power. Anytime that you begin to sing and worship and praise him and he honors his word and he inhabits the praises of his people, he comes into the building, he saturates this place, he fills us with the gift of the Holy Ghost, he begins to speak to us in signs, miracles, wonders, he tells us all these different things. That's all the reassurance that we should ever need. I shouldn't have to be constantly asking the question or, or constantly seeking some assurance. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 said, But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you should be witnesses unto me, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Joshua 1.9, he said, Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. That's all the reassurance that we need as apostolics. Do we know who Jesus is? Do we know who the Lord our God is? Do we know that he goes before us? That we don't have to have a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. That's my God and that's who I know and that's where I take my confidence. When we've been established in the truth and we've been filled with the Holy Ghost, we shouldn't have to ask for someone's reassurance in God. Do you really think God can do it? Does he see me? Does he care about me? These are spiritually infant type questions. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that sees you at the point of your need. That's the guy that sees you when we don't know where else to turn. That's the God that hears every prayer that leaves your lips. That's the God that knows every moment. That's the God that has a number of hairs on your head. That's the God who holds your whole world in his hands. So does he see you? Yes. Does he hear you? Yes. Does he know you? Yes, by name. He knows everything that's going on. He knows your every fear. He knows your every question. He knows your every doubt. He knows your every struggle and every trial. And that's the Jesus Christ that we serve. And in him, I will be confident. And in him, I will have trust. And in him, I will take strength. And in him, I'll take authority in Jesus' name over doubt. In Jesus' name over depression. In Jesus' name over anxiety. In Jesus' name over fear. I have this confidence in knowing him. We sing a song around here that says, I have a confidence because I've seen the faithfulness of God. And how many know that he has been faithful? Even when it doesn't feel like it, even when there's circumstances that arise and questions that come up, still he's faithful. Same God yesterday, today, and forever. Before I ever had a trouble, he was God. 
in the middle of my trouble, still God. After he brought me through my trouble, still God. And I'm still going to praise him. And I'm still going to worship him. I'm still going to lift him up. I'm still going to have some questions sometimes. I'm still going to have some insecurity sometimes. But in him, I have a confidence in knowing he will forever sit on a throne as Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, God Almighty. It don't matter what the world says. It don't matter what the devil whispers in your ear. It don't matter what you're going through. He is Jesus Christ. He is on a throne, and I have a confidence in knowing I don't care what else happens because I know who Jesus is, and I know he holds my hand. I know he holds my every moment. I know he walks with me through a struggle and through a trial, and he's got my back. My God will fight my battles. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. So as confident apostolic people, we are not going to continually seek out reassurance because we've got every reassurance that we need. Secondly, we don't ruminate on past mistakes. Well, do we have past? Yes. Have we made mistakes? Yes. Have we done some things we might regret? Absolutely. Are we defined by our past? No. Are we defined by our sins? No. Am I defined by who I used to be? No. Because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. What happened before is before. What's gone behind is behind. I don't have to spend my time looking back. I don't have to spend my time checking the rearview mirror. I don't have to spend my time begging for forgiveness for a sin that God's already washed away. I'm not going to waste my time anymore ruminating on mistakes of the past. Did I make them? Yes. Were they real? Yes. But they will not define who I am and who I'm called to be in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 said, There is therefore now no condemnation to him who is in Christ Jesus. That means when the little devil gets on your shoulder and starts telling you how bad you are and how much you don't deserve to be in God's presence and how much God can't use you because of the mistakes you've made and the failure that you are, that's when the world starts looking at you and questioning, I know who you were a couple months ago. I know who you were a few years ago. You can't pretend like God can use you. You can't pretend like you've got a calling because we know who you are. As Pastor Cox said this morning, no, you don't know who I am. You know who I used to be. But when I am in Christ, I'm a new creature. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that love God. Praise God. I will not dwell on the things of the past. You see, when I repent of my sins, they are forgiven. And that's not exclusive to me. When you repent of your sins, they are forgiven. The word of God tells us so. When we're baptized in Jesus' name, not only are they forgiven, but then they are washed away as if they never existed. That's not new doctrine. That's not crazy talk. That's the word of God, and that's fact. Anybody ever been baptized in Jesus' name and come up out of the water feeling clean like you've never felt before? That's because our sins become washed away in Jesus Christ. They're not there anymore. They're forever gone. Now the one who knows all, sees all, has all power. Omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. He says that they're gone. So who am I and who are you to say that they're still there and that those sins and mistakes can have any power over us? Are you stronger, smarter, or wiser than God Almighty? I'm not. Might be close. No, I'm just kidding. 
I'm not even close, and neither are you. And you know what? That's exactly how it's designed to be. He's God of all things. And when he says you're forgiven, and when he says your, wa- your sins are washed away, and when he says that your mistakes of the past are cast into a sea of forgetfulness, when he says that your sins are blotted out with his blood, he looks at your life, he doesn't see a list of mistakes that you've made. He looks at your life and he sees the blood of Jesus poured over and his name written where all your mistakes and all your sins used to live. Now all he sees is the name of Jesus. Is anybody thankful for forgiveness in the house? I'm thankful for forgiveness. Dwelling on mistakes of our past is the quickest way to halt your future. Dwelling on mistakes of your past is the quickest way to stop your future. God ever given you a dream? God ever given you a vision, a desire, a calling? He's ever spoken anything into your life? I tell you the quickest way to make sure it never happens. Dwell on your past. Talk about why you're not worthy. Talk about the mistakes you've made. Talk about the reasons that it can't be you. We saw what happened when Moses tried that. He was called to be the mouthpiece for Israel, but he doubted, he complained, and told God why he wasn't good enough, so God got Aaron to come and speak instead of him. If you want somebody else to fulfill the calling that God has placed on your life, go ahead and dwell on the mistakes of the past. If you want somebody else to fulfill the calling that God has placed for you and the vision and the dreams that he has given you, you see, if it's God's will, he'll make sure that it comes to pass. Amen? His will is more is superior to our will. If God has a will and a design, he will make sure it comes to pass. Now, if he's got a calling for you and you refuse it or you tell why you're not worthy or you exclude yourself from it because of mistakes or pasts or failures or confusion, whatever it is, He'll make sure somebody else gets the job done. He's not going to force you to do anything. He's not going to force that on you. But I promise you, if you want to have a future in Jesus Christ, and he's got something laid out for each and every one of us, there's a calling and a purpose that he's designed for each and every one of you. Nobody's excluded from that. Nobody's excluded from that. You can tap into that by continuing to push forward and seek after him and seek after his will for your life. Or you can choose to dwell and ruminate on mistakes of the past and ensure that you never make progress in Jesus Christ. The choice is totally yours. But Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 15 in the New King James, it says it this way. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. I don't care what else happened. I don't care what the past is. Today, right here, right now, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. We should have a confidence in knowing who we are because we know who he is. And that's where our strength comes from. That's where our courage comes from. Thirdly, Confident people do not expect too much of themselves. Now, you might uh, think on the surface that sounds contradictory. Confident people obviously get a lot done, right? That's why they're confident, because they've accomplished something. You ever met somebody who's super confident for absolutely no reason? (laughs) Um, Never mind. We'll just leave it alone. (laughs) 
meet somebody that just got all the confidence in the world and there's absolutely no reason for it. Um, I got enough laughs to know that you know what I'm talking about so I don't have to go into any details and it's probably good because I'd end up getting in trouble. So we'll just move on. Confident people don't expect too much of themselves. Now, Confident people set goals. Confident people achieve their goals. Confident people do things and and accomplish things, but they don't expect too much of themselves. Generally speaking, um, perfectionists are not confident people. Now, the common belief is that perfectionism is about being perfect in every aspect, but really, perfectionism is about feeling perfect. Now, this isn't my words. This is a psychologist. What's his name? Psychologist and therapist, his name is Nick Wingall. So he's at least gone to enough school to proclaim to know what he's talking about. Um, But he says that perfectionism is not about being perfect in every aspect, but it's actually about feeling perfect. So perfectionists, he says this, see, perfectionists have a hard time tolerating the emotional impact of imperfection. Deep down, they believe that the only way to be truly lovable or useful or good is if they're perfect. And when they inevitably fail to live up to the rather high standard of perfect, they feel bad. And in order to feel less bad about being less than perfect, they strive all the more to be perfect. Once again, we cue the vicious cycle. Perfectionism and the need to feel perfect are a setup for poor confidence and low self-esteem. It means that anytime you feel bad, you're not doing things correctly and you need to work harder. Now, of course, what most confident people understand is that feeling perfect or even feeling good isn't a requirement for anything. In fact, most of the best things in life don't feel good, at least for a little while. Being in shape, getting fit, feels good when you're there, I've been told. Uh, (laughs) But it takes some effort to get there. It takes some uh, pain in the gym. It takes some pain in eating your salad while everyone else has pizza. Uh, Oh, I felt that. Um, At some point, even the most amazing things in life don't feel good. Talk about wanting to be on a mountaintop with God. we got to have this mountaintop experience. Well, most people don't own a helicopter, so the way you get to the top of a mountain is to climb it. That might not feel good in the process, but when we get there, it feels amazing. When we get there, it feels like we can do anything, like, like we're unstoppable in Jesus Christ. But the process sometimes is hard and sometimes is painful. The book that helped me with this concept was uh, The Heart of Technical Excellence. is written by Kurt Taipel. And in this book, the author compares perfection and excellence. He says, if your goal is perfection, you will fail almost every time. Something can always be better. However, if your goal is excellence, you can achieve it almost every single time. So what does that look like for us as Christians? Well, I'm not going to witness until I have all the answers memorized perfectly. I'm not going to invite friends to church until I'm sure the music is perfect, until the preaching is perfect, until the people across the aisle are perfect. You see where this leads? You see where we're going with this? If we're seeking perfection before we try and do anything for God, we're never going to get there. It's almost like dwelling on the past, waiting for an impossibility. So when we, if we want to be confident in Jesus Christ, 
We don't expect ourselves to be perfect. We don't expect our church to be perfect. We don't expect our brothers and sisters to be perfect. But what do we expect? We expect that we will do our very, very best in Jesus Christ, and we'll let him take care of everything else. That's what confidence looks like. Confidence looks like I might not be able to do it to your satisfaction, but I can do it, and I can do it in an okay job. I can do a way that's pleasing and acceptable to God. I can give it my very best, and I can achieve a level of excellence, but I can't ever achieve perfection. So if you're seeking out perfection, that's the quickest way to lose confidence because you're never going to get there. Smart people tell you that if you're going to set goals, that they should be achievable, that they should be attainable. Why? Because if you keep setting goals that you're never going to reach, you completely end up discrediting yourself. You lose faith in yourself because you didn't make it that time and you didn't make it the next time, so all of a sudden, we just quit trying altogether. Well... Last week, I didn't even know who Jesus is, and, and next week, I'm going to be uh, preaching Midwest Youth Conference. That's, what, that's my goal. That's what we're going to do. Good luck. And the first time you fail, you're like, oh, well, you know, I can brush it off. And then, and then you set another lofty, impossible goal, and you don't reach it. And then you set another lofty, impossible goal, and you don't reach it. And all of a sudden, what happens is we quit trying because we lose what? We lose confidence. So to be a confident person, we can't expect too much of ourselves. Now, that's not TJ giving you license to just laze around and do nothing with your life because you don't want to expect too much. That's not what we're saying here. Hopefully you understand my heart and understand what we're communicating is that when we expect something that's unattainable, it will drain your confidence from you. Continuing to take a look at what that can look like. I'm not going to... Um, take another step towards ministry until I'm a perfect person. I'm not going to take another step in God until uh, I've become 100% perfect. I'm not going to do what God is calling me to do until I reach perfection. You see how that halts growth? You see how that stunts confidence? You see how that stops us from getting where we want to go? The quickest way to make sure you do nothing is to wait until you're perfect. Amen. The fourth thing that confident people don't do, confident people do not worry about things they can't control. Confident people do not worry about things they can't control. Kind of goes along with the perfectionist thing. If you can't control it and you can't fix the outcome, you'll have absolutely no confidence going into it because you're expecting to do something that you can't do or you're worrying, or you're fretting about something that you have absolutely no control over. The outcome is out of your hands, so you can't have a confidence in Jesus Christ if you're fretting about something that you can't control. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, I'm going to read a portion of scripture here. It says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Who can think about being taller and get taller? I can't. I tried a couple times. It didn't work. Um, so who can think about your stature and, and add a cubit to it? Why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. 
And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that ye have need of all these things. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Verse 34, take no thought of the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of itself. One of the uh, most modern-day English quotes I've ever heard that I just kind of latched onto and I liked, it explains this perfectly. It says, today is the tomorrow that you worried about yesterday. Take a second. Today is the tomorrow that you were worried about yesterday. You're already living it. You're already doing it. You're already making it through. It's 7.30. You've made it almost to bedtime. Well, depending on who you are. Uh, You've made it. You've made it. Look where we are. Yesterday I was worried. Yesterday I was stressed out. Yesterday I was fretting about tomorrow. Yesterday I couldn't sleep because I was worried about what the next day holds. Tonight I lay my head down and I can't sleep because I'm worried about tomorrow at work. And I'm worried about who I'm going to run into. And I'm worried about what problems are going to come up. And I'm worried about what my boss is going to say. And I'm worried about if my car is going to start. And I'm worried about if I'm going to have a flat tire. And I'm worried about this and I'm worried about that. And I'm worried about all the other things. And all the time I should be sleeping, I'm spending it worrying. So that when I do face tomorrow, I face it a little more exhausted, a little more drained, and I'm like, oh, well, I was right. Your attitude has a lot to determine your day. Heard it somewhere that your day will go the same direction the corner of your mouth does. In other words, if you walk around with a smile on your face, your day is generally going to go a lot better. If you get out of bed and you walk around frowning, head to the ground, it's going to be a terrible day. Guess what? It probably will. It probably will. There's a power in our words. There's a power in our knowledge. There's a power in what we tell ourselves. This is why it's so important to have a confidence in at least one thing, and that's knowing who Jesus Christ is. Because then I can look at life and say, it doesn't matter what tomorrow holds. I can look at Matthew chapter 6, and I can read portion after portion of that scripture, and I can say it doesn't matter what tomorrow holds. I can't control it anyways. Have you ever fixed something for the next day today? I haven't. Yeah, the problem that you're going to have tomorrow, did you fix it today? Has anybody ever done that? Now, there's a certain uh, blessing to being prepared. We can definitely prepare ourselves. We can set ourselves up for success. But has anybody had a flat tire going to work, but you fixed it the day before? Okay, So why do we waste our time and our energy worrying and fretting about things that we absolutely cannot control? And I understand that this is very real for people. I'm not belittling it. I'm not talking down and I'm not acting like I've got everything all together. By and large, I annoy my wife most of the time because I don't 
worry about things as much as she wants me to, uh, which means as much as she does. Um, but I don't worry about it that much. And, and sometimes that can kind of get under your skin a little bit. And I'm not saying that to lift myself up by any means, but that's just by nature kind of how I operate, who I am. I, I just, maybe I'm not thinking about it. Maybe I don't care. Maybe whatever the case is, but I, I don't operate that way. But some people do, and that's very real, and that's how they are, and that's who they are, and I understand that. But I want somebody to know that God is just as able to transform our insecurities as he's able to deliver us from sin. God is just as able to transform your insecurity as he is to deliver from alcohol, from drugs, from addiction. God is just as able to help you with a lack of confidence as he is to help you with a lack of knowledge of who he is. It's not an unheard of miracle for God to reach down and touch you and bless you with wisdom, with strength, with confidence. These are all things that we can seek God for. He doesn't tell us that we're bad if we do that. He doesn't tell us that we shouldn't ever try and do that. We should just be beat down. and be, No, he said, I've come that you should have life and that more abundantly. Not necessarily life because it's more worry and more stress and more bills and more problems. That's not the type of life that my God was talking about when he said you can have life more abundantly. He was talking about a life everlasting. He was talking about a life walking in the knowledge and understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And that, yes, he does take care of tomorrow for you. He does know what you have need of before you even ask it. He does know who you are. He does know what you're going through. And he does know how to help you. And he will see you through every single trial. Amen? And finally, fifth, making decisions based on how they feel. Confident people do not make decisions based on how they feel. Smart financial people tell you not to make big purchases in an emotional state. Regular people who know anything about life tell you not to make big decisions when you're in an emotional state. Why? Because most of the time they're not going to make sense because you're emotional. You're either uh, really high on your horse, and so all of a sudden, you go and buy the $150,000 truck that's out on the lot and just looks fancy, and you drive it home, and you're all excited until the first payment comes, and you're like, oh, well, oops. <laughs> or you're like, oh, everything's, everything's going to pot, and I don't know how I'm going to make this bill, and I don't know how I'm going to do this, and I don't know how I'm going to do the other. Better just sell the house. Market's good. Just sell the house. Okay, where are you going to sleep? We don't make big decisions when we're in an emotional state. Confident people do not make decisions based on how they feel. But how should we as Christians operate? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. So in other words, it doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what the situation dictates. It doesn't matter what life circumstances say that I should be feeling like. It doesn't matter what the, uh, the, the, the flow of the day has done to me. I'm not worried about what I see. I'm worried about what I know. My faith. Where is my faith? The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. It's the exact opposite of just trusting what you see because when we just trust what we see, that's where we get caught here making decisions based purely off how we feel. So-and-so offended me at church today. I'm never going back there. 
whoops, that was too close to home. Should have started funnier and then got to that point later. We make decisions based off of how we feel. That's when we find ourselves in regret. And what were we supposed to not do? Live with regret of the past. Right, And so we start any one of these things that we do, we begin to suck the confidence out of ourselves and we see ourselves falling into traps of others to where a lack of confidence becomes a compounding issue. You think, oh, well, you know, I can get through this. I can get over it and, and, and I fix one thing, but I've got five other issues. And so I'm never climbing out of the hole as it might seem. But that's what happens when we take our trust and put our trust and put our uh, emotion and put our um, future in the hands of ourselves and just what we see and what we uh, are exposed to rather than walking by faith, not by sight. Music can come. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He says, be steadfast, be unmovable, always abounding. That means even if you're having a bad day, you're steadfast and you're unmovable. That doesn't change who God is. That means even if the tire does go flat, it doesn't change who God is. That means even if there is an attack on my family and an attack on my marriage, it doesn't change who God is. That means even if I am battling with doubt, battling with depression, struggling through anxiety, that means even if I don't want to get up and face the next day, I am steadfast. I am unmovable because I am confident in one thing, and that's Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's knowing that I don't care what else happens today. I know who Jesus is, and I know that I'm a child of the king and I have a faith and I have a trust and I have a confidence in him because I've seen his faithfulness because I know that there's a blood of the lamb and a word of testimony I know that I can have every confidence in Jesus Christ because of who he is and because of what he's done so I don't make important life decisions in crisis moments and we don't make spiritual decisions based off of pure emotion Paul told us to be steadfast and unmovable. We can all stand. The psalmist David had a pretty good idea of what it was like to be confident in God. Psalm 3.6, he said, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. 1829, he said, for by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God I have leaped over a wall. You ever have faith so high you feel like you could just leap over a wall and knock down a building? That's David. He said, by thee I've run through a troop, and by my God I have leaped over a wall. Psalm 20 and 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 37, 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Leave that up there for just a minute if you would. We're in a day and an age, we're in a time when there's a lot of not good people trying to do a lot of not good things. And unfortunately, some of those people have the power to make those things happen. We can be victim of the circumstance. We can worry till we're red in the face. We can keep ourselves up at night because 
we don't know what we're going to do and we don't know how we're going to handle it if we're ever faced with a situation. We can beat ourselves up with all the hypotheticals. Or we can trust in God. Or we can believe in Him. Or we can do like David said and rest in the Lord. Hallelujah. Somebody needs that word right now. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself because of those that prosper in their way or because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. There's a power in having a confidence in Jesus Christ. If you have a need in your life that you were unsure about before tonight, we're going to open this altar here in just a minute. And I hope, I hope I've done at least a somewhat decent enough job to give you confidence in knowing that you can bring something to Jesus Christ tonight that he sees us where we're at, that he knows what we're going through. And if you've got need in your life that you were unsure about before tonight, bring that to the altar tonight. If you have a care or a worry that's been plaguing your mind, bring that to the altar. If you have a seed of doubt creeping in, bring that to the altar. Because regardless of anything else that happens to this point, I am confident of this very thing, that Jesus is in this house right now. He is ready and able to answer prayers, to meet needs, to provide peace, to give comfort, to give strength. Jesus Christ is well able. I know there's distraction, but that's okay. Let's focus on Jesus Christ right now. Somebody's brought some things into this place tonight. We could spend a lot of time figuring out reasons to not accept a miracle from Jesus Christ. Or we can declare that by his power and that by his might, he's able to make a difference. We can spend a lot of time talking about how big the issue is, how big the problem is, how much faith we don't have, or we can choose to be confident in knowing who Jesus Christ is. So I'm going to open these altars here in just a moment. And if you have a need, bring that. If you don't have a need, I still want you to come because we need our faith to be built. We talked about that as the young people gave their testimonies and how that builds faith and how we have to have a word of testimony in the blood of the lamb to be an overcomer. So we're going to open the altars here. And as we do, I wish that everybody would come, that you would bring a need if you've got it or bring faith if you don't. Jesus Christ is in this place tonight. He's well able to meet you. He's well able to see you and he's able to perform above what we're able to ask or even think. So I don't care how long you've struggled with the issue or I don't care if it's something that just crept up. I don't care if it's something that you've battled with for years and years, something that you didn't know that there was even a possibility that God could touch. I tell you, I serve a God tonight that is able to do absolutely anything all power in heaven and earth is held in the name of Jesus Christ. So regardless of need, regardless of situation or circumstance, whatever it is, I challenge you to taste and see that the Lord is good. Bring that need to the altar tonight. Bring that need to Jesus Christ and let's see what he can do. God, I thank you so much. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you, and we hope you have a great week.